Hi, I'm Clement Liu, and welcome to the third season of Just Sustainability. In the previous episode of Just Sustainability, I introduced you to Julia Gibson, and Julia introduced us to their paper, Climate Justice for the Dead and Dying. In this episode, Julia and I pick up where we left off, with me asking her about what seems to me to be a discomfort, at least amongst environmentalists, to talk about the potentially unavoidable harms associated with environmental problems. This led to an extended and wide-ranging conversation about grief, palliation, the tension between ethics of preservation and conservation, and the ethics of death, as well as the broadening of scholarship to include conversation about spirit and emotion. The next clip, which is a bit long, is one of my favorites I've recorded for this podcast. So maybe I'll, I'll use a story too uh, to, to help me ask the question because you used a story and I like stories. So um, this story is, happened, what, I guess it was four or five years ago. It was at the, the Land Institute's Prairie Festival and Bob Jensen, who's a journalist and a professor of journalism at a school in Texas, which I can't remember, gave a talk uh, about um, grief and climate change. Um, mm. Where his argument was: Look, it's becoming increasingly clear that we're not going to make the you know the one and a half degree uh, climate targets. Probably not even make the two degree climate targets. So we're going to definitely have you know some of the those really bad things that people have been afraid of happening. And we need to think about how do we emotionally deal with that moving forward. Um, and people were really upset with him. Uh, the audience, like I was definitely down, right? Cause like I had thought those things too. And, the, uh, and I really felt like, look, we have not sort of as a group prepared ourselves to deal with that. And it's likely something we're going to have to deal with. And it's going to catch us by surprise. And it's going to be, bad right and i feel like it's going to lead to like cynicism apathy like all sorts of things that like you know we don't want um but yeah like almost everybody else though that was in the audience at, at that talk uh were seemed really really angry at him for like for even huh. proposing that like you know we might not solve the problem right that we might yeah. miss our targets and that like we should be thinking about like how do we emotionally cope uh, with you know not being able to do those things and you know what like think about how do we move forward in the the uh the likely event that we don't make the targets that uh, we think we need to right like it's not we don't just stop when like you know uh we miss the two degree target what do we like you know how do we how do we appropriately react and then move on um yeah yeah people people really hated that and like one of the reasons why it sounded like people hated it is just that like they felt like it was giving up right and i seen something similar when it comes came to like you know family members who are like who need end of life care and you know the discussion about hospice and palliative care came up there were family members who were really opposed to it, despite the fact that it was very clear that the you know that the family member who was needing palliative care was you know was close to the end of life and like you know, no matter what we did, they, they were, you know, going to die within like, you know, weeks or days. Uh, and, you know, we really should be thinking about how to reduce suffering. Uh, right. Similarly, some members of, of, uh, you know, the family got very upset because it was, uh, you know, they felt it was giving up. Uh, and so like, 
you know, I have some thoughts about how to respond to that concern, but like, it, that seems like mm-hmm. uh, a, a very common response to when people start kind of introducing the idea of like palliation and grief, uh, you know, I guess in some sense, like before, or like for the dying, right? Like I think, yeah. you know, when, when, like for the dead, I think people are, are kind of better at dealing with like after the fact, but at the, during the dying, people sort of have a hard time kind of, I, I don't know if it's like admitting it, like, right. Like are they on denial or like, or processing it and like, or like, yeah, I don't know what it is, but like there does seem to be a lot of pushback on, on like, actually tackling the 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 question of palliation during the dying yeah yeah i'm not surprised um sorry i interrupted you oh no i i I think i was just sort of like saying things to fill time until you (laughs) you felt ready to answer so if you feel ready to answer i I will stop (laughs) rambling yeah i'm not surprised that that was the reaction um i do think some of it is denial Mm -hmm. Um, which is, you know, a stage of grief itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's sort of interesting in thinking about in the context of thinking about grief, seeing a stage manifested there in that, like, there's something ironic about that, <laughs> um, in the denial of the need for grief or thinking through grief. Um, mm-hmm. but I also think it highlights, something important which is that there should be attention mm. like in palliative ethics applied in the context of climate change or you know an individual's life in a you know medical context um being aware of the the risk right mm. of giving up too soon or um is not ne- is necessary right so like that there is tension i think is actually good okay um i think it's it's like how we orient ourselves to the tension which is important sort of like in seeing it as as necessary but but shouldn't hold us back from the work of palliation right um and responsibilities of palliation um but I, I, I also think it's um, reasonable in the sense that there is sort of a pendulum swing to the other side, right? So like this like really past-oriented environmental ethics that I'd say almost nobody is thinking that at this point that preservation and restoration are going to be like the only tools that we need in our toolbox. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like folks have some folks have swung the other direction where it's like all we need now, like environmental ethics is just about um, like death midwifery or something like that. Right. Mm. Like, so like ushering towards death um, or like being present for dying. um, And, you know, the sort of a, it sort of swings from, and this is where the narrative piece comes in. It swings from your really classic, comic apocalypse where it's like we just have to pull back from the brink Mm -hmm. and you know we can but you know we're we're not over it yet so we can pull back and do it um to this to like the tragic apocalypse where 
there is, we're already over it or there's nothing we can do. Um, and I, so I, I think in, we have to resist that pendulum swing, (laughs) but also resist that sort of that kind of dualism of thinking that, um, those are the only two frameworks that we can be using here. The only two narratives. Um, um, but I do think it's, it's a risk that, or it's a trend that I see where it's sort of like all focusing on dying and death. Right. Um, and something Wait, can, that I'm really, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no. Jump in. Okay. No, I was just going to ask you for like a little bit of clarification. Cause right. Like, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's that we need to, to maybe find that middle, middle position between like, right. Like it's all death midwifery or it's all, you know, like restoration and preservation. Um, I was just going to ask you, like, what is that middle space? Like, well, how do you sort of see how do how do we shift our narratives about climate change or the ways that we might deal with climate change or like how we relate to climate change to find that middle space? But uh, I, I can hold that question off if you had something more that you were going to say that uh, I cut you off from saying. No, I think we're there. I think I was headed there. I think there's a lot in that space um, that's fascinating and fruitful and worth delving into. And I can say that for myself, (laughs) because I do think there's so much out there, Mm -hmm. um, how it's been helpful for me to be thinking through it. And I have a couple things coming out that um, explore this in more detail. Um, I'm going to tell another story to, as to like, to, (laughs) to like get into it. So, yeah. So once I'd sort of been thinking about this critique um, of mainstream environmentalism and being mm-hmm. like, well, what do we, you know, we, we, we are doing this past oriented thing, or at least we're still heavily influenced by this. And that leaves out the the dead and the dying. Um, and so I was like, okay, let me see if I can find um, examples of remembrance and palliation, mm-hmm. like in the world, but also, um, you know, in, people's writing or literatures and practices, all kinds of things, um, narratives. And, and I, a mistake I made was in thinking that I was going to find these things easily in standalone forms. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I'd like find, you know, I'd be like, Oh, I, you know, I'd be analyzing a narrative or, um, coming across practices and it would be very clearly, um, just palliation or just remembrance, mm-hmm. um, without, you know, attending to the dead and the dying, but not the living or, but not, you know, future generations. Right. And what I began to see is that in the most sort of robust forms of death ethics, mm-hmm. they were not separate really Mm -hmm. um they could be emphasized in particular moments but they were not separate from what it means to do like do climate ethics for um for the living and for generations to come Mm -hmm. and so for me that middle ground of like not falling into the past oriented paradigm, but also not falling into like death ethics is all we need Mm -hmm. comes through 
thinking about the ways that that um, that death ethics is really like a holistic is part of a holistic practice of intergenerational ethics that extends, I mean, forward and backward, right? Like quote unquote forward and backward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's that more holistic ethic mm-hmm. that we're really looking for. And because the dead and the dying have been left out of our ethics for so long. I do think that's what people like grab onto. And then, but it feels like the next step for me at least is like, Oh, it's part of this bigger picture. Uh Um, Where even outside of like contexts of injustice, um, this should be part of, this should be part of our ethics all the time. Um, And not just in moments where we have a lot of dead and dying too. Yeah. Um, to attend to. I like that. So I mean, it makes me think of, uh, I guess we're creating a lot of stories uh, today, um, <laughs> but it makes me think of right, like the, my first experience of having a family member die as an adult. Right. So uh, I remember when it became clear that they were going to die. Uh, the, the hospital actually assigned us a, a social worker, right? like to right, kind of help us through that process. Right. So like while we were thinking about like, you know, sort of the, the palliative care, uh, the hospital is also providing those of us who are going to be the survivors with like, right. Like, uh, I guess mental health care, right. Like it, as part yeah. of that entire process. Right. And I, and I, I never really thought about that as being part of the, like, you know, the sort of the, the palliative care process, but it is right. So like palliative care isn't yeah. just about the people that are dying. It is also about the families and the survivors, right? Like even if it wasn't for like the, you know, the social worker, the process of caring for uh, uh, a dying person isn't just about the the comfort and like the reducing suffering for the people who are dying. It's also a way for, you know, the people who are surviving to have that, that last sort of like kind of meaningful right exchange of care with like the person mm-hmm. that's dying. Right. And then I think that's actually deeply important, right? Like I think per- as a survivor participating in, uh, right palliative care uh allows you to like to i guess i, I don't know like m- manifest your care like one last time or like it, part of the it also is like, i think positively impacts the 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 grief and mourning and healing process um yeah i mean i never thought of it that way but like uh listening to you talk kind of, definitely kind of evokes that for me yeah, I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm like, ah, it's just funny. I keep talk- talking about, as I said, death and dying with my family, and they're like, "Why are we doing this right now? We're just having a fun time at the beach." <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I guess this is the problem that you get multiple <laughs> philosophers together, right, having a conversation. Um, yeah, um, conversations yeah. go weird places. <laughs> yeah, right. This is a fun um, conversation for me. Yeah, no, for me, like, and I, some of my, um, you know, I, I talked about, about rats earlier. Um, rats are amazing companions, uh-huh. but they have short lives. Uh-huh. And so over the past, you know, like 15 years that I've had rats, I've had a lot of experience with death. Uh-huh. And um, it's definitely one of the things that's contributed to me doing this work um, because I think 
you know, the first time I was really present with someone through their death, um, both in a, in the context of rats and humans, um, I was really angry afterwards because I felt like I'd been very ill prepared, Mm -hmm. um, for what death looks like. Mm -hmm. And, and that's another sort of launching point for me doing this work is I was like, why don't we prepare ourselves? Why don't we educate ourselves? Um, Mm -hmm. What else are we missing here? Like by not, and why are we not talking about it? Um, (laughs) So I think in sort of like a end point to this question of like, what are we looking for in between these, um, these two poles? um, I don't even know if it's on the same spectrum. I don't think it's like a, um, just a straight line here. Um, (laughs) But I think, and another reason why it's scary is because um, acknowledging responsibilities to the debt. So yes, acknowledging Mm -hmm. responsibilities to the dying can be scary because it, it seems to be admitting defeat. Um, yeah, but to the dead, then I think it's scary because it becomes spiritual. Um, and that's a word you're not supposed to use in philosophy, I think anymore. (laughs) Um, so, and, uh, so it's been a, it's, it's definitely been an interesting time sort of working my way towards just being honest about thinking about, um, the spiritual dimensions of climate ethics and climate justice mm-hmm. and how, you know, I can talk about this stuff. And often if I'm publishing in philosophy journals, right, maybe um, at least in the past, maybe there's an article, I hope that's coming out soon. That is going to be more explicit about it. Mm-hmm. You can talk about it without using that word. Um, and I think in, in this article, Wait, I Wait, you say you can, or you cannot. You, you can, okay. right. You can. Um, because it makes you sound more serious and intellectual if you don't. Right. Um, where you can, you know, say things like, you know, our responsibilities and relationships with the dead continue past, or to other beings continue past their death. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we affect the dead after their passing and they continue to affect us. I think it relies on... Um, certain kinds of temporalities that again are, are sort of not in the wheelhouse of a lot of the mainstream environmental ethics stuff, Mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, so I, I think that, um, in a lot of ways, our absence of conversation and dialogue about death is, um, also an indication of sort of like a spiritual impoverishment of a sort. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, so I'm kind of excited to dig into that more too. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, I mean, so I, you know, I personally think we're kind of in an exciting time in philosophy after philosophy was really boring for a bit. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, I, I, yeah, it did feel like you know, starting maybe in the late '50s, at least until like the late '90s, there really was a period in philosophy where, like, I don't know, for some reason, we stopped talking about anything interesting and just sort of like you know, played word games for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm excited. The fact that like these sort of things are coming back up. So I'm super excited to see Thank your you. papers when they come out. Thank you. Yeah. That's kind. Uh, um, oh. Yeah. And it's, um, it's still, I think we can be, we need to be okay with playing around a bit more too. Mm. <laughs> um, 
I think we take ourselves really seriously, mm. which is, I don't know. I, I think it can be limiting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know there's all kinds of like institutional reasons for this, right? It's like, you gotta, <sighs> and, you know, defunding of humanities and all kinds of things, um, mm-hmm. gotta be taken seriously by not just those in our field, but administrators and all kinds of other people who make very tangible decisions about where funding goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's going to, I mean, I think your students are on to something um, and I'm excited to see where people are going with this. Like our, um, and I'd be, yeah, I'm excited. I, you know, as at the same time that it's like deeply depressing um, <laughs> to see <laughs> uh, where things are headed with climate change and depressing doesn't even like sum it up. Yeah. It's like, I don't really have a word. Well, I actually, um, I actually don't think depressing is accurate. Right. So like, yeah. Right. Like when I think of depression, I think about like, right. Something that happens not for like, right. Like that's pathological, right. That's not a healthy response to the situation. Um, well, I think the, the sort of bad feelings we have about climate change, a perfectly appropriate response to what the stimulus is, right. We should yeah. be bad. That's not pathological. That's a healthy response to, uh, right, circumstances that should make us feel bad. It's pathological and we don't feel bad about it. Yeah. Maybe heartbreaking is a better, like, it's yeah. it's heartbreaking. Um, I mean, in, infuriating, all kinds of, all kinds of feelings, um, mm-hmm. which I do think are, and I, and I think those two, and this, I think I talk about this in the article it emotion is um definitely become a more prominent and respectable mm-hmm. <laughs> like topic within you know philosophy in general but also like environmental ethics as we think about the and sort of affective dimensions of climate change mm-hmm. um and one of the risks we run here is sort of in centering certain folks, I guess, you know, the, the emotions of the environmental or my, environmentally privileged. Um, so it's important for, I guess, and I put myself in that group. So it's important mm-hmm. for us to work through that for ourselves. Um, some of the stuff that I find troubling is when then that affective response becomes universalized. Mm-hmm. Um and so I want to try not to do that too. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I guess right again, like, you know, we were talking about earlier, I think context matters. And I think being thoughtful about context and integrating context into scholarship might help with that. Yes. Yeah. And I think people are doing that more and more. Yeah. No. Um, and, and I think it makes, it makes the scholarship better. Yeah. Um, yeah, it totally does. It makes the takes. Yeah. Much more interesting as well. Mm-hmm. At this point, the conversation that I was having with Julia began to wind down. So I asked them the question that I tend to close with. That is, I asked her whether there was anything she wanted to talk about, but that I had neglected to bring up. Julia started by asking me about what I found exciting about the work of my students, which spurred us to talk about environmental psychology and how happy both of us are that folks are beginning to think more about emotional and spiritual well-being as they relate to the environment. What things do you see in your students work that feel like most 
exciting to you or mm-hmm. yeah, I guess I could just leave it there. Like in terms of, yeah, climate justice and sustainability. And I guess I'm, I'm like, what directions are they taking it in? Yeah. So I think there's two things uh, that really excite me about like what I've been seeing out of the work of my students, particularly in the last, like, I don't know, three to five years. One is there's a lot, uh, right. So like, it's very clear eyed. So, right. I, I think in the, you know, right, like the climate ethics for the dead and dying, you write about like, right. Needing to, to right, kind of acknowledge and to like recognize and to like be, you know, fully aware of what's happening. I feel like students now are much more sort of like honest about our prospects of the future. Right. The, mm-hmm. the, I, I think that I don't, I don't think they have any delusions about like where we're going in the next hundred years when it comes to climate. Uh, and so I think that is important, right? Like they're addressing what is likely, not what they hope will happen, which I think if there's anything that's come clear to me in the last 40, 50 years of climate modeling, there's been way too much of like, uh, it's not to say optimism, right? Like we've, we've, we've hit worst case scenarios for like all of our climate models, right? Like we've been like assumptions about like how much we're going to reduce have all been wrong because people have always assumed that like, Oh, we, you know, even the worst case scenario, we're going to do something. And it's like, mm. <laughs> uh, so I think that's one. The second is the integration of equity uh, and like, and social justice. Uh, that is, I think much more, many of my students now just take that as a granted. Uh, it used to be the case. I'd have to like convince them that that was a, a thing that they should be thinking about. Uh, people would be surprised that I started talking about like, equity uh in the context of sustainability right people are just like oh i'm sorry those is like two completely different domains i think it's increasingly clear now with the students i work with that right like they before they ever get to me that they already recognize that equity is an important part of sustainability they are surprised that someone like me is integrating them but they're not surprised that the, the idea should be integrated uh so those are the two things that i find most exciting how about you what are you finding yeah, that is that is exciting. Yeah, that's I feel like that's encouraging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just part of this is I'm like how do, like I feel like the good news is coming out of these folks, right? Like and I feel I think I was trying to lean into that good news feeling right now. Um my students, it's really interesting cuz at at Antioch in the environmental studies department, we have masters and PhD students mm-hmm. and most of them are already established practitioners Mm. in their careers in environmental fields Mm. and then are coming back um, to do advanced work. Um, I would say this is more true of the PhD students than the master's students, but their, their work is so inspiring to me. Mm. Like I just feel so lucky to be surrounded by these really creative, brilliant, like, practically minded people mm-hmm. <laughs> um i'm trying to think of specifics um i think you know there's just it seems like they have no shortage of ideas mm-hmm. really for how to tackle things on the ground and so my role then i think is is sort of more about taking one step back or a couple steps back and like looking at 
you know, values underlying things or the kinds of environmental narratives we're telling that sort of, um, and, and, and sort of then that gives them a new angle of approach or like, you know, Mm -hmm. highlights an area of the problem that they hadn't thought about. But I, I just, um, I really admire, um, you know, they're in educational fields and like mental health fields. It, mm-hmm. It's sort of, it's just like the very fact that like environmental work is becoming so interdisciplinary mm-hmm. and cross-cutting so many different professions. Um, that alone really excites me. Um, I do feel like, <laughs> um, per, like in terms of, I don't know who I am professionally. Like I, I am like a writer, I think first. Mm -hmm. Um, and I love writing and that's part of why I'm like (laughs) having a positive response to one's writing. I'm just like, Oh, that's, that's so great. (laughs) You hope that you're going to put it out there and that someone's going to be like, Oh, this is so working with students that are so that are already engaged in like environmental, um, fields mm-hmm. um just kind of feels like that every day um and it can be small scale you know small scale stuff like um doing like conservation psychology um studies locally like um on like single use plastics or mm-hmm. you know like people's attitudes are towards single use plastics um or you know people are already engaged in like conservation biology on islands off the coast of California and how to sort of like do this work as a scientist and be like process the trauma Mm. of working with endangered and then like extinct species. Mm. Um, I think conservation psychology is becoming a bigger and bigger thing. Mm -hmm. And that's not an angle that I'd, thought about before mm-hmm. um except for sort of as like to like um how to be most convincing or something like that you know yeah but it it's so much more than that and i think that's really interesting no yeah no so um i want to amend my answer now too right given to what you just said another thing that i really do like is how um folks are such being so much better about integrating wellness into thinking about sustainability mm-hmm. and environment right so like i i think you know, I, I think human health was always something that was like, you know, part of environmental discourse and like ecosystem health in some sense was part of environmental discourse. But like, uh, that tended to be right about like kind of meeting physical needs and like of avoiding like death and illness. But like, I, I do think there's much more thought about kind of wellness writ large lately. Yeah. Right. Like, like, like you said, right. Like, uh, I mean, even when I was a grad student, uh, I guess when did I graduate? Uh, I guess eleven years ago when I like before I graduated, uh, uh, right? Uh, uh, environmental psychology was about rhetoric, right? It was how to be more f- effective at like pro environmental yep. rhetoric. But it really does seem like there is much more concern now. But like, well, how how do we right? Like, how do we cope with yeah the the trauma that's uh, you know unavoidable given environmental uh, right threats and like. Uh, bad things happening. Um, yeah. And this is where I think the spiritual dimension comes in too. Mm-hmm. Cause I think folks are not just thinking about emotional well-being, which they are. I mean, 
I mean, physical well-being has been on people's radar for a while, right? In terms of environmental justice and, um, you know, like pollutants and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I tend to think that the literature is coming out of those communities, the communities that put environmental justice on the map Mm -hmm. were already like always pretty attentive to emotional and spiritual well-being. But the thing that got taken up was like this physical well-being. And so now I feel like emotional and spiritual well-being are, getting taken up mm-hmm. more seriously and that feels exciting to me too yeah well and, and it feels like we might actually have better outcomes i think right when we're being sort of more holistic and like have kind of more robust sort of ideas of what our our outcome should be I, I think we do a better job so that's nice that you're seeing some of those things too yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i mean and hopefully uh those trends continue and we do better about thinking about how to proceed given the sort of vast array of things that we need to, to deal with. Yeah. It does feel big, but it's nice to be in conversation with people who are also dedicated to this work, um, yourself included. So thank you for, you know, opening this conversation. Yeah. And yeah. No. And thank you for spending more than an hour hanging out and chatting with me. And this brings us to the end of the conversation that I had with Julia Gibson. I hope that you enjoyed learning about Julia's thoughts about how we might balance the way we approach environmental ethics to include greater consideration of our duties to the dead and dying. And I hope that listening to our discussion about Julia's views about how we might better attend to grief, remembrance, and palliation, in addition to striving for preservation and conservation, offer you some opportunities to reflect on how you think about climate, environment, and sustainability. Just Sustainability will be on hiatus for the next few weeks to provide me with some time to edit the episodes for the second half of Season 3. But more episodes will be available for download at the end of January. Thank you for listening to Just Sustainability. If you've enjoyed what you heard, please support this podcast by subscribing and leaving a review. Just Sustainability is recorded with the support of the Institute in the Environment at the University of Minnesota. In particular, I want to thank Peter Levin and Beth Mercer-Taylor for all their help with this show. All the music on Just Sustainability is composed and recorded by Clifton Nesseth, and all the artwork was created by Kristen Nesseth. Thank you again for listening.